Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right, Shabbat Shalom. As you know, we're in a series on uh, Mishlei in the book of Proverbs. Uh, today is part eight. We're going to look at the topic today of training in righteousness. And we're going to take that from uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and chapter 30. So first turn with me to Proverbs 3, beginning uh, verses 1 to 12. And the Proverbs says this, My son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness, chesed v'emet, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Uh, bind them around your neck. Let them be a tablet written on your heart. Then you win favor and a good name in the sight of both God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Uh, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord. Honor him with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline, and don't resent his rebuke. For the Lord, he disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And then Proverbs 30, uh, the sayings of Agur, the, the, Agar, the son of uh, Yaakov, an inspired utterance. Uh, the, uh, this man's utterance to Ithiel. I'm weary, God but I can prevail. Surely, uh, I'm only a brute, not a man. Uh, I don't have human understanding. Uh, I've not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who's gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the winds? Who's wrapped up the waters uh, in a cloak? Who's established the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Uh, now, how do we get wisdom? Chapter 3 of Proverbs addresses how we develop wisdom and grow in it. And, and we'll understand how to get wisdom if we learn from this passage. My microphone here is getting a lot of feedback, uh, George. Uh, and, and we'll learn how to get wisdom if we learn from this passage and also from Proverbs chapter 30. better? Thank you. And we also look from this passage in Proverbs 30, the following three things uh, on the overhead. Number one, the path of wisdom. Uh, number two, the, the process of wisdom. Uh, and three, the man off the mountain. So first, the path of wisdom. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 6. And all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. The Bible constantly talks about life as a path, as a pathway. Indeed, 700 to 800 times in the, in the scriptures, living life is likened to walking a path. And walking a path is accomplished how? By steady, repeated, even mundane actions. You're not going to make much progress on a path if you somersault down the path or if you leap uh, down the path uh, because you can't keep that up. If you're going to go miles and miles, it's right foot, left foot, 
right foot, left foot. To travel a path, it takes repeated, steady movement. Uh, and you'll make progress as long as you faithfully do these things over and over again. Thus, life is like walking a pathway. According to the Bible, what really makes you who you are, what really takes you somewhere, uh, just like walking a path, the steady left, right, left, right, it uh, takes you somewhere. In the same way, who you become, your final destiny, is basically the product of how you do the little things every day. Uh, your little choices, your little attitudes, uh, your basic disciplines, the words you say, uh, what you meditate on, uh, the things you spend your time doing every day. Now, if I ask you for your bio or for your resume, uh, you wouldn't talk about right foot, left foot. No, you talk about the, the big things in your life. But that's not how the Bible sees it. And therefore, the Bible calls wisdom a pathway. When it talks about uh, the way of wisdom or, or the path of wisdom, what it means is that you become wise by committing to, uh, uh, to and by taking responsibility for certain sets of daily practices. Uh, by taking upon yourself a certain set of daily repeated disciplines, the things you do over and over and over again uh, that become godly habit patterns. And if you do them every day, if you do them over and over again, eventually you will become a wise person. Getting wisdom is, is to go down a path. And this means you adopt certain godly practices and certain spiritual disciplines that you do over and over again, which eventually make you wise. Wisdom in the Bible is, is likened to a pathway, not a door. The door, the Im the door image is, here's a door, uh, and, and if I, I turn the latch, or if I have a key and I insert the key and I open the door and I walk in, boom, there it is. I'm wise. But the Bible never says wisdom is like that. The scriptures never liken wisdom to a door. The scriptures never say, just get this secret knowledge uh, or just get this information Oh, oh, you have a, have a certain esoteric experience, uh, and now you're wise. No, that's not what the scriptures say, because wisdom is a path. It's a long, patient quest pursued over and over again, during, doing simple things faithfully day in and day out. Left, right, left, right. Uh, for an extended period of time, a long obedience in the same direction. And wisdom, therefore, does not happen quickly. And this totally goes against the grain of our whole society, our whole culture, right? Uh, this, this concept actually critiques our, our culture. Uh, on the overhead, uh, according to C.S. Lewis, there's basically two different approaches uh, to life. The one is that the sages, they say that our cardinal problem uh, is how I conform my soul to reality. And the solution is becoming wise. Uh, but magic in ancient times and in science today, they say the opposite. They say the cardinal problem is how I change reality to fit the desires of my soul. And the solution uh, is a technique. Uh, you can see this played out, for example, by going to any Barnes & Noble bookstore. Uh, you'll see rows and rows and rows of books on, that give you three lessons or five steps or a set of uh, six special access videos on YouTube on how to do anything, how to, how to overcome shyness, how to become confident, uh, how to handle trouble, uh, how, to, how to deal with stress, uh, how to overcome anxiety, uh, how to have a successful love life, uh, how, to how to understand the opposite sex. Five steps, three videos, a, a webinar, an in-person seminar, 
uh, $2,000, read this book, watch this video. In other words, wisdom, according to the world, is this or that door. But the scriptures say, no, it's not. You cannot get these things fast in three easy steps because wisdom is a path. But we're all creatures of our time, whether we realize it or not. We're all trying to get these, these instant methods uh, to find God's will for my life, uh, especially when we have a, a big decision we need to make. Should I marry this person? Should I break up with this person? Should I move to this city? Uh, should I go to this school? Uh, should I take this job or, or pursue this career? And you're trying to find God's will. You're trying to discern his will. And sometimes people say, oh, well, when I pray about doing this, uh, I don't have peace. But when I pray about this, I have peace. Is God telling me this is the way to go? Perhaps. Some people say, I'm asking God for a sign. Uh, and then this and this happened to me. Do you think that's a sign from God? Some people say, I, I pray and I open my Bible and I ask God to give me a verse. So I close my eyes and I say, Lord, speak to me through your word. I look down, it says, Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> I say, well, let me give God a second chance. <laughs> I close my eyes, I open my Bible, I look down, it says, go and do likewise. <laughs> I say, well, that's just a coincidence. <laughs> let me give God one more chance. I close my eyes, I open my Bible, I look down, it says, and what thou doest, doest quickly. <laughs> and I say, well, I never did like the old King James Version. <laughs> When people say, I need a sense of peace, I'm looking for a sign, I need a Bible verse, these may be helpful, yes, but they're not foolproof methods of discerning God's will. Discerning his will is not dependent on some technique. If we're walking in obedience to his word, he, we have to trust that he will guide us and guide our life. And getting counsel uh, from family, from godly friends uh, and leaders and mentors, that's also very helpful but it's not dependent on some quick technique. If you're doing left foot, right foot, left, right, over the years, you start to become the kind of person, the kind of wise person who knows how to make the right choice. There's no magic formula. There's no shortcut. It's a path. It's not a door. It's not a latch. It's not a key. I've had other people come to me and they say, well, I've been a good person. Uh, I live morally. I go to shul. I pray daily. But my life, it's not going the way it ought to go. That's not fair. Do you know what they've done? In other words, they say, I've been moral. Uh, I push that button. Uh, I, I pray every day. Uh, I push that button. Uh, I go to shul. Uh, I push that button. And out should come this good life. They've turned their morality into a technique. Uh, they've turned their prayer life into a technique. The purpose of these things, though, is to draw you closer to God uh, and to make you wise, not to perfect a technique. Uh, uh, but we're far more a creature of our culture than we care to realize. So we need to go against the flow of our culture, and we need to understand that wisdom is a path. And you develop this wisdom, again, by long obedience in the same direction. A daily faithful left, right, left, right, by repeated godly disciplines and practices that put you on the way of wisdom and eventually turn you into a wise person who knows how to make the right choices. There are no shortcuts.
So on the overhead, number one, wisdom's a path, the path of wisdom. Look at number two, the process of wisdom. What are the, the processes we need to use to develop wisdom? Uh, what are these daily repeated left, right, left, rights? What are they? Uh, the study things we need to do that eventually will turn me into a wise person. Uh, on the overhead, uh, there's five steps listed here in Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, knowing God, knowing yourself, knowing your friends, knowing God's commands and best practices, uh, and knowing trouble in the proper way. So first, knowing God. Look at Proverbs 3.3. 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. The Hebrew here for, for love and faithfulness is the word chesed v'emet. Uh, and these words, these phrases typically used of God uh, to describe his character. And they're also used to describe you having a personal, intimate, covenant relationship with him. The word love here, the word chesed, which means industrial strength, absolutely committed, unfailing covenant love. Also translated loving kindness. God's love for you uh, in which he is absolutely committed to you under any circumstances. Uh, the word amet, truth or faithfulness, is essentially a synonym here. Uh, if you want to go down the path of wisdom, what does it mean when Proverbs 3, 3 on the overhead again, it says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Uh, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This is actually very practical, but it's also very hard. It's not enough just to know God loves you. Uh, if you want to become wise, you've got to find ways to pound this into your heart, deeply into your heart of hearts, every day that he is absolutely committed to you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will do anything for you. Indeed, he has done everything for you on the cross. You need to be absolutely sure of this deep in your heart, uh, to bind it on your heart, to, to remind yourself of it daily. That's what this is saying. And you have to find spiritual disciplines that emphasize this for you. Uh, prayer, worship, praise, meditation, uh, Bible-based literature, uh, biblical art, uh, uh, biblical movies, scripture reading, memorization. You've got to find ways every day uh, that you make the absolute, unconditional commitment and love of Yeshua real to your heart. You've got to learn uh, deep in your soul that Yeshua absolutely loves you. Now, why is this important for wisdom? The book of Proverbs is constantly telling you that wise people have a calm and inner, unassailable poise. Uh, so that no matter what the situation is, there's this inner calm and poise and confidence that helps them make good choices. Uh, they never lose their head, no matter what the situation. Now, you can't get that unless you know Yeshua's love for you, because that's where it comes from. We all easily say, oh, yeah, of course, I know God loves me. But on the deepest level, do you really know that? You've got to find ways to pound this into your heart. So that's real to your heart. That it, that it, that it leads to this unassailable uh, inner shalom, this poise and calm uh, that can never be dislodged. So that's the first spiritual discipline. Uh, going deeper into God every day and finding ways to make this absolute love and faithfulness to you real to your heart. 
on the overhead. Second is uh, knowing yourself. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And Proverbs 3, 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. On the overhead. Uh, the great uh, paradox of the book of Proverbs is that wise people are extremely aware of their foolishness. Whereas fools think they're wise. That's the great paradox. Uh, to put it plainly, if you don't think you're a fool, you're a fool. <laughs> and when you say, I've been a fool, I've been a fool, you're headed down the road to wisdom. There's nothing that pushes you toward wisdom than first acknowledging, I've been a fool. Wisdom, wisdom is being in, in touch with reality. And the first reality you need to know is who you are. You've got to be accurately, intimately aware of your own limitations, all your weaknesses, uh, your flaws, uh, all your besetting sins, all your areas of foolishness. And if you don't, you are going to make foolish choices all the time. And the only way ever to get to know yourself is if you first know God and his love. Because if you need approval from others... If you compare yourself to other people, if you're defensive about criticism, if you're afraid of failure, if you're always thinking that other people seem smarter than me and better looking than me, have better credentials than me, and you're focusing on that, if you don't have that absolute inner poise and that incredible unassailable calm uh, on the inside that comes from knowing in your heart of hearts that the Lord is absolutely faithful to you, and absolutely loves you, if you don't have that, you won't allow yourself to see, and you're going to screen it out uh, and deny and repress the knowledge of your flaws. You won't be able to admit who you are. You, you won't be willing to see your sins uh, and your character flaws. And you won't psychologically be able to. You'll repress it. Uh, you'll make excuses all the time. You'll say, well, that was a mitigating circumstance. Or you'll say, well, you'd be like that too if you had the mother I had or the father I had. You do everything you can to avoid the reality of seeing who you are. And if you can't see who you are, uh, you will not be able to see the rest of reality. Uh, and then the overhead. So the second daily spiritual discipline is, is this on the overhead. It's, uh, there he is. Ruthless yet non-traumatic self-examination and confession of sins and flaws and bad habit patterns. Do you see why the second step of knowing yourself goes, goes with the first step of, of knowing God uh, on the overhead? You have to be able to do ruthless self-examination. But you won't be able to do this, uh, to admit your flaws and your sins, unless it's non-traumatic. And that will only happen if you know how much God loves you, unless you're deeply immersed in the sense of his love. If, unless you are, you won't psychologically be able to admit what's wrong with you. Uh, you, you won't be able to. Uh, you'll screen it out. Uh, you'll deny it. And many of you today are in denial. And I am too. Because I don't know how much he loves me. Uh, and therefore, I don't know fully who I am. And the same is true of you. To the degree you do the first discipline of going deeper into God and anchoring it in your heart of hearts, to that degree you can then do the necessary ruthless yet non-traumatic 
self-examination that is absolutely required to grow in wisdom. So on the overhead. So the steps of wisdom include, number one, knowing God. Number two, knowing yourself. Now number three, knowing your friends. Throughout the book of Proverbs, the writer says, my son. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. Uh, my son, don't forget my teaching. The book of Proverbs, it's written this way because it was probably a manual written for a Jewish boys' school where they were, they were being trained up uh, in, in wisdom. Uh, and therefore, you had the master at the school always saying, my son this, my son that. And the point is, you will never find wisdom by yourself. You've got to have mentors and counselors and friends. Proverbs 3, 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. The fool is an individualist. The fool is a lone wolf. Uh, the fool is, is, is independent uh, of all oversight uh, and teaching and accountability. The fool says, I don't need anyone else's advice. I know what to do. I know my mind. I know what I want. I know what's best. I know what the, is the, the right thing to do. A fool doesn't need advice in his own eyes. <laughs> a fool resists accountability. A fool is not teachable and will not submit to authority. But a wise person is so humble about his or her own wisdom that they welcome counselors uh, and teachers and mentors and leaders and friends. And as a result, they grow in wisdom. So I encourage you, find a friend, find a mentor, find an accountability partner to help you grow. That's where you develop wisdom. In contexts where there's mutual counsel and exhortation and the ability to confront uh, and to comfort uh, and to pray together. In a word, an accountability partner. Wisdom grows in community. And the discipline of community, uh, the discipline of letting someone else know your besetting sins, uh, is often crucial to the path of wisdom. Ask yourself, how am I doing with this? So in the overhead, number one, knowing God. Number two, knowing yourself. Number three, knowing your friends. And number four, knowing God's commands and best practices. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. The Hebrew word here for teaching is Torah, and the Hebrew word here for command is mitzvah. The word Torah, of course, usually refers to God's law, but it literally means teaching or, or instruction. Uh, and, and in this Jewish boys' school, which is probably the setting here of the, of the book of Proverbs, uh, the mentors would have been teaching their students God's law. The fact is, yes. You need knowing God, you need knowing self, and, and knowing friends, and you need community. But you also must know the scriptures, the word of God. You've got to master God's database of commands uh, and best practices. One example is in Proverbs 3, verse 9, on the overhead. The, the world says, hold on to your money, spend it all on yourself. But the Lord says this. Give some of your money away. Look at the verse, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing uh, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The Bible has instruction where God says, here's what I want you to do with your words. Here's what I want you to do with your emotions. Here's what I want you to do with your wealth. Here's what I want you to do with your relationships. Here's what I want you to do with your family. And so the scriptures contain commands uh, and best practices 
that you need to study and implement. This is one of the daily left, right, left, right uh, practices you need to incorporate into your life and take into your heart and the overhead. Meditate on them. Reflect them. So number one, uh, knowing God, knowing self, knowing friends, knowing God's uh, commands and best practices. And number five, finally, you've got to know trouble, but in the proper way. You'll never be wise without first knowing trouble and adversity and suffering and disappointment. Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father of the son, he delights in. So this, too, is part of the path, part of, part of the training, uh, part of the discipline, part of the way in which you learn wisdom. Why? Because wisdom does not avoid suffering. Rather, it transforms suffering into more wisdom. Notice it says, don't despise and don't reject uh, discipline and, and rebuke. Don't resent it. Stay on the path. Uh, don't go the, the stoic way and say, I'm not going to let suffering or disappointment uh, affect me at all. I'm just going to be emotionless, uh, like, a, like a Vulcan. Uh, and don't go the resentful way and get bitter. Let the trouble in your life drive you into knowing God more, into knowing yourself more, into knowing God's word more, uh, more and, and driving you more into the, the advice of, of counselors and mentors. And if you process trouble in these other four contexts of knowing God and knowing yourself and knowing mentors and knowing God's word, the trouble will actually help you to grow in wisdom. If you do these things, if you put yourself in the way of wisdom, you'll become the kind of person who can make wise choices. And again, there are no shortcuts here. One of the main ways you grow in wisdom is by trouble and by suffering. But some people will object because they'll say, yeah, uh, they're suffering, but then they're suffering. If you look at people on the other side of the spectrum, people who've, lead, who've lived a charmed life, or where nothing bad has ever happened to them, uh, they're shallow. They don't know how to relate to other people's suffering uh, or put themselves in their shoes. They don't really understand how life works. They don't know their own heart. They're not wise. So without suffering, there's no wisdom. But they're suffering, and then they're suffering. It's one thing to say, the person I wanted to marry broke up with me. It's another thing for your spouse to drop dead of a brain aneurysm and leave you with three little kids to care for. It's one thing to say, my elderly parents died and I, I miss them so much. It's another thing for your teenage daughter to commit suicide. It's another thing for 300 Jewish children to be shot by Muslim terrorists and for them their blood to be crying out from the ground. When you look at horrendous, outrageous, evil, and suffering, if you just glibly say, well, suffering's one of the ways you learn wisdom, that's an insensitive and insufficient response. And if wisdom is being able to handle reality, that the part of reality that seems to devastate wisdom. Now, the wisdom literature in the Bible, of the book of Proverbs, the book of Job, it's filled with this question. Why do the innocent suffer? How do we get this ultimate wisdom? How do we learn how to deal with this level of suffering? That's the worst 
life reality of all. Uh, horrendous evil, horrendous suffering, outrageous evil. How do we get the wisdom to deal with that? Well, at the end of the book of Proverbs, in chapter 30, we have the sayings of Agur, Agar. He tells us that he's absolutely stymied. Uh, he was, uh, uh, in, uh, he was, how stymied he was in developing wisdom. Why? Because of these terrible evils and sufferings that he's witnessing. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 2 and uh, Proverbs 30, verses 2 and 3. He says, Surely I'm only a brute, not a man. I don't have human understanding. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of a Baruch Hu, the Holy One. Now, this, this is almost bitter here in the, in the tone, in the Hebrew. He's not just being humble, oh, I'm not very wise. Uh, in fact, he must have been very wise to have his words preserved as Holy Scripture here in, in, in Proverbs. But when he says, I have not a man's understanding, he's using a Hebrew phrase here that can also mean almost like mentally impaired. That I have an IQ of an animal. The other place the same phrase is used is, is Psalm 73, where the psalmist is looking at how the wicked succeed, uh, and the righteous and the innocent suffer, uh, and are oppressed uh, and trampled into the ground. And he feels the same way as Agur. And he says, when I look at that part of reality, I don't feel wise. I don't feel like I understand uh, any more th than animals do. Uh, and so Agur and the psalmist in Psalm 73, when they look out at the world and they see that, they say, uh, and we also say, I still don't have the wisdom I need. And unless I'm able to handle that, unless I'm able to find some way of understanding that, unless I'm able to see what, what's really going on in the world, I don't feel like I'm wise. But then Agur, he realizes his whole problem is his perspective. And he says this in Psalm 30, verse 4. Who has gone up into heaven and come down? Who's gathered up the wind in his fists? Who's gathered up the waters in his cloak? Who's, who's established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Agur is saying, I'm here in the valley, I'm in the forest. When you're in the valley or you're under the trees, no matter how hard you work, sometimes you feel like, I don't know what's going on. Unless I can climb up on one of the mountain peaks around the valley and get the big picture. And, only, and the only one who has had, ever had the big picture is who? The one who's in heaven. The one who's wrapped the waters in his cloak, who's gathered the winds in his fist. He's saying, unless God comes down from heaven and speaks directly to me and tells me what's going on in the world, the evil and the suffering and the injustice, they'll just continue to confound me and trouble and overwhelm me and freak me out and frustrate me. I need to have someone who's come down from heaven. Then I'd have wisdom. But until then, I don't. And then he actually says at the very end, what is his name? Who is this person? What's his name? And what's his son's name? Who is his son? The son of God. Surely you know. What does this mean? Well, centuries later, in John 3, Nicodemus was having a discussion with Yeshua. And Nicodemus, he's trying to be complimentary. 
And he says to him in John 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who come down from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing unless God was with him. But Yeshua does not react in the way you might expect. He doesn't say, well, I'm so glad you Pharisees are finally getting some understanding. I'm so glad you know, I've finally made it to the big time. <laughs> I've come to Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin finally recognizes me. That's not what he says. He basically says, you have no idea who I am. And then he says this in John 3.13. No one, guess what he's quoting now. No one has ever gone up into heaven except the one who's come down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Now Nicodemus, he can't believe his ears because Yeshua is referencing two very famous scriptures here. Uh, Nicodemus, of course, he knows that Hebrew scriptures backwards and forwards. He knows the Son of Man is a reference to the, the divine messianic figure spoken of in Daniel 7, who's given all rule and majesty and authority and, and a kingdom over all the earth, uh, who takes up his throne right next to the Ancient of Days, God the Father. He is the Son of God. And the second scripture Yeshua references here is our passage today, Proverbs 30. In Proverbs 30, a girl says, who's gone up into heaven and come down? That's the only one who can give me the ultimate wisdom. And then Yeshua says to Nicodemus, that's me. That's who I am. I'm the one who's gone up into heaven and come down from heaven. Nicodemus, uh, he knows he knows, not, not, he knows not only Daniel 7, but he also knows Proverbs 30. Uh, so Nicodemus, he picks up um, Yeshua's clear reference here to our text of Proverbs chapter 30. Yeshua is practically quoting Proverbs 30, verse 4, right here. Yeshua says, I'm the one Agur was looking for. I'm the one who's come from heaven. I'm the one who's come down. I've got up into heaven, and I've come down. What is his name? And what is his son's name? I'm the son of God, Yeshua is saying here. I'm the son. His son's name is Yeshua. Surely you should know. I'm the man off the mountain. I can tell you heavenly things. I bring the spirit. I bring the new birth. I'm the source of ultimate wisdom. Imagine Nicodemus hearing that. And then Yeshua adds this. John 3, verse 14. And just as Moshe lifted up the snake in the wilderness, our passage today, <laughs> so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Yeshua says, I've come from heaven to bring you the ultimate revelation from God. But I'm not bringing it to you in the form of some abstract proposition. No, I've come from heaven, but I'm going back into heaven by way of the cross, by way of being lifted up. Off, off the earth. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the tanim, in the, in the wilderness, that by looking upon it, the Israelites were healed, the serpent a symbol of sin. In the same way, I'm becoming sin for you. If you look upon me in faith, you will have life. Yeshua says, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross like that lifeless serpent of Moses on the pole. This is the ultimate answer to the biggest question of human wisdom. Why do the innocent suffer? Yeshua says, look at me. I am the ultimate innocent sufferer. I'm going to the cross. 
even though I don't deserve it, even though I'm totally sinless. And on the cross, I'm going to experience ultimate derision. I'm going to experience the sins of the world being placed upon me. I'm going to experience abandonment and forsakenness by my heavenly Father. I'm going to experience death. I'm going to experience the absolute rejection of my friends. I'm going to experience government-supported violence. I'm going to experience utter hopelessness. The wrath of the universe, the wrath of God. It's all going to come down on me. And I'm going to do it so that someday I can end evil and suffering in this world without it ending you. I'm doing it for you to pay for your sins. And the overhead, Yeshua is saying, I've got the ultimate wisdom. It's the cross. It's the tree of death that becomes a tree of life. Only if you bring the cross into the center of your life will you finally have the answer to the big questions in life. Only then will you be wise. Years ago, there was a Time Magazine cover story entitled, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? And in this article, uh, it told the story of an African-American writer. And, and when she was a young girl, her mother was murdered by her boyfriend. And, can, and she could remember seeing the blood on the mattress where her mother died. And she could remember seeing the bloody handprint on the wall or where her mother struggled for her life. And, and for years and years she struggled and asked, how can I make any sense out of this? And she couldn't, like a girl couldn't. She said, I don't understand this at all. And one day she was in a graduate school class in which they were talking about the crucifixion. And she said, I suddenly realized that Yeshua didn't just suffer for us, but he also suffered with us. And I suddenly realized Yeshua knew what it was like to be beaten to death. And yet he suffered all this for me. And at that moment, she says, the faithfulness of God was bound into my heart. Suddenly she realized I can trust him. He's not some distant, aloof God with philosophical explanations. No. Instead, we have a Lord and a God who's come down and actually enters into our suffering with us. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. He was crucified. He experienced injustice. He experienced violence. He experienced everything and worse than, than we ever experienced. And he's walking with you through your darkest hour, a high priest who can relate to and empathize with your troubles. And she says, I suddenly realized I can trust him. I have a God I can trust because of the, of the cross. What was she doing? She was binding the faithfulness of God to her heart and finally sunk in. And it enabled her to handle life. She realizes, here we have a God who, who suffered so that someday he can remove all suffering without destroying us. If you want wisdom, you must take the cross into your heart. Not some abstract God loves me. No, you've got to see what Yeshua did for you on that tree. Because that's the ultimate proof of God's love. That's what will bind the faithfulness of God into your heart and it will change everything. You must bring the cross into every area of your life.
Think about the cross. What does it ever represent? Yeshua won through losing. He got power by giving power away. Yeshua ruled through being a servant. He got wealthy by giving everything away. If you bring the cross into every area of your life, every area, every relationship, every inner thought that you have, your wealth, uh, your work, uh, your leisure, your words, your emotions, and start to work out how the cross should affect and transform every area of your life, wait till you see how wise you start to become. The world says if someone wrongs you, pay them back. The cross says forgive them. The cross is the way of wisdom. The world is wrong. The world says keep all your money or spend it on yourself. The cross says give to those who have need. Do this and you'll see how wise the cross is. The world is wrong. Bring the cross into the center of your life and it will make you wise. The wise conform their soul to reality. But the magician and the scientist try to conform reality to their soul. But paradoxically now, the cross does both. Like it did with that young woman in the article. The cross will enable you to handle reality as it is. But through the cross and the resurrection, God is going to change the world. The cross, in a sense, is God's magic. As C.S. Lewis says, uh, it's the, the deep magic from before the dawn of time. Because someday he's going to give you the world that your heart most deeply wants. He's going to give you the resurrection body that you want. Uh, the love that you want. The relationship that you want. The redeemed soul that you want. The presence of God that you want. And the overhead. C.S. Lewis writes this. He'll make the feeblest and filthiest of us, if we let him, into such dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in, in parts painful, but that's what we're in for. Nothing less. And it starts today, in your daily life. Right, left, right, left. Let's get to it. Amen. Let's stand and pray. The music team to come on up, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these words on, on developing wisdom. Help us to walk this path of wisdom, Lord, uh, by faithful daily spiritual disciplines that we continually practice, like, like walking a path left, right, left, right. Help us in all our daily choices, our attitudes, our disciplines, our speech, our thoughts, our priorities, to follow you, Yeshua. To do what honors and pleases and exalts you. Help us to live a life of long obedience in the same direction. Lord, help me to, tr to truly know that you and your absolute, help me to know your absolute covenant love for me uh, as ultimately demonstrated on that tree, on that execution stake. Help me to know myself, Lord, and be willing to confront my own flaws and sin patterns and to be able to receive critiques from other people who see things in me I can't see so that I can grow. Help me not to screen them out or repress these, these unpleasant truths uh, or deny them. 
Help me to daily conduct this ruthless self-examination uh, as revealed by your spirit. And Lord, help me now to take the initiative to find friends uh, and mentors and counselors who can speak into my life, who I can open up to and can hold me responsible. Uh, I confess I can't find wisdom by myself, Lord. I need the help of a faith community. And when trouble and suffering come, help me to use it to drive me closer to you, Yeshua. Yeshua, thank you. You're the one Agur spoke of in Proverbs 30. You're the one who's gone up into heaven and come down. You're the Son of God and the Son of Man, the one who suffered with us and, and for us, the one who was lifted up on the stake so that everyone who trusts in you may have eternal life. We thank you and we praise you. In your name, Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.